Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. I remember when I was a young boy and my dad drove us to a Detroit Tigers baseball game. This was a big deal because from our house, it was about a four or five hour trip. But culturally, the city of Detroit couldn't be farther away from where I grew up in this small town. I remember thinking that this was more people than I'd ever seen before in my life. And I had a bit of anxiety when we were in the city and driving to the stadium. Well, we got to the game. We had a lot of fun watching the Tigers play on the crisp, perfectly manicured field. We ate some hot dogs and we heard that crack of the baseball against a wooden bat. Not many better sounds than that. But after the game, it was a different story. My dad started to drive back home, but quickly got lost in the middle of Detroit. I was terrified. We were in this unknown place, and I had grown up hearing these horror stories of the violent streets of Detroit from all my friends at school. This was the worst case scenario for me. While my dad tried to figure out how to get us out of there and back to our home safely in northern Michigan, I was helpless in the back seat. There was nothing that I could do. But here's the thing. Although I was scared, I also felt a sense of peace knowing that I was with my father. I knew that my dad would protect me and he would do everything he could to get me safely home. Yesterday, Pastor Ben talked about walking the walk. And when we're called to walk the walk for the Lord, we can be at peace knowing that we aren't walking alone. Our father in heaven is perfect and he's completely in control of every detail. So we as Christians, far above anyone else, should be emboldened to walk the walk more than anyone else. Let's see an example of this type of confidence in our Old Testament reading in Daniel chapters 5 and 6. Starting in chapter 5, we see King Belshazzar take the vessels of gold and silver that his dad Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple at Jerusalem, and he drinks with his party out of them, praising the gods of gold and silver. Fingers of a human hand then write on the wall, and Belshazzar tries to get all of his wise men to read and interpret the writings, but nobody can. And then the queen says, hey, don't worry, there's a guy named Daniel who does this kind of thing. The king calls Daniel in and offers him gifts to interpret the writing, but Daniel says, hey, keep your gifts, but I will do it. I will interpret this for you. Then Daniel basically says that your dad was humbled greatly by the Lord, and you witnessed all of that, but you yourself have not been humbled. He says, starting in verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. And then Daniel interprets the writings. There were four words written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. And Belshazzar and his wise men would have known what these words were, but maybe they didn't understand their significance. As one commentator said, read as verbs with different vowels attached to the Aramaic consonants, the sequence becomes numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. The Lord had numbered the days of Belshazzar's kingdom and brought it to an end because he had been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The repetition of numbered may suggest that it will occur quickly. And then what happens? Well, in verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius uh, the Mede received the kingdom. 
being about 62 years old, this is a stark reminder that God will not be mocked. Sometimes his perfect justice is executed far down the road when we don't get a front row seat, but sometimes like here, it's executed immediately. Now, Darius is a big part of what happens in chapter six. He sets up these satraps or provincial rulers, 120 of them. Over these satraps are three men, Daniel being one of them. So let's take a look at verses four and five. It says this, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You see, these satraps, they didn't like Daniel because Daniel was kind of like the teacher's pet of Darius. He was rising in the ranks. He was over them. He was the guy that everybody loved. And there's two huge encouragements in this passage that I want us to notice. First, these satraps, they could find no fault in Daniel. Is that who you are? If somebody's trying to persecute you, can they find any fault in your life? Not meaning that you're perfect or you're sinless, but just that you are obedient and faithful to the Lord to the point where people can't really find anything to grab onto to use against you. And second, the only way that they could trip him up was to put him in a situation where he had to choose between disobeying God or the king because they knew he would never disobey God. Can that be said about you, that you will never disobey God. And that's kind of your reputation among the people around you, that the only way they could trip you up is try to get you to choose between the world and God, knowing that you would always choose God and therefore get you in trouble with people that they're trying to get you in trouble with. And so these satraps brought the idea of a decree before Darius that no one should pray to a God or man for 30 days beside Darius. Now check out Daniel's response. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I mean, Daniel's basically saying, I'm not only not going to follow this decree, but I'm going to actively pray in front of everyone to show them that I trust the Lord. The consequences for this ultimately were that he was thrown into a lion's den, but God protects Daniel. Darius has the satraps thrown in and they're killed along with their families as well. So God, again, is not mocked. God protects Daniel. And even if God didn't protect Daniel from death, ultimately Daniel could stand before the Lord, having faithfully uh, obeyed him in all things. Then look at how Darius responds to this, starting in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. What a great reminder to us of a few truths here. First, we must obey God at all costs and God can use our obedience to save others. God is glorified greatly when we fear him more than men. And ultimately, God is the hero of every story. Our temptation is to posture up and fight our enemies instead of standing behind our God and allowing him to get the glorious knockout punch, so to speak. 
And what a great reminder we have today in our Psalms reading in Psalm 139 that God knows us in our situation far more intimately than we ever do. Starting in verse 13, we read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In those moments when it's scary to obey God, knowing we might find ourselves in danger, it's passages like this that comfort us, knowing that God knows the beginning from the end. I want you to take a moment right now and just clear your mind, and I want you to really concentrate, and I want you to think about what you were thinking about when you were being knit together in your mother's womb. Yeah, you have no memories from that time, but yet, even now at times, we think we know better than God. Perhaps this is a good reminder for us to realize that our knowledge compared to God's is still just as incomplete as our thoughts were when we were in the womb. And as we turn to our Gospels reading today in John 14, 1-14, we find several great encouragements regarding our relationship with God. First, no matter how difficult our circumstances might become in this life, one day we will go to be with the Lord, and He is preparing that place for us now. And Jesus says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Second, we can actually know God. Starting in verse 8, we read, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. What a thought that we can know God intimately. If that hasn't blown you away lately, maybe today is a good refresher to remember that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we are adopted children of God, we can know God, the God of everything. We can know him intimately as well as we can know our human father here on earth. Third, we can ask God for great things through prayer. Starting in verse 12, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. When we're called to walk the walk, and we're in those scary moments of life, we can have the complete confidence that our Father is with us because we can ask Him anything in the name of Jesus Christ through prayer. Do you believe that? One of the ways that we know that we can pray in the name of Jesus Christ and come to the Father confidently is by praying the scriptures. We can pray what we know is already God's will. We can pray for provision. We can pray for protection. We can pray for people to be saved. And on and on the list goes. There's an endless amount of prayers that we can pray confidently to God in alignment with this scripture. Now, we almost come full circle Back to the sinful stubbornness of Belshazzar as we finish up our New Testament reading in Revelation 9, 13 through 21. 
The sixth trumpet is blown, and then we see four angels released to kill a third of mankind. They are ultimately killed by fire, smoke, and sulfur that comes out of the mouths of these creatures that John describes as horses. And I want to start reading in verse 20 and show that man's heart is consistently unwilling to submit to God's authority throughout history, even until the end. It says this, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. That sounds familiar from our passage in Daniel. And it says, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even with witnessing a third of all mankind being killed, these people are not repentant, willing to forgo the worship of the one true and living God for false gods that cannot see or hear or walk. Throughout the end times, God will time and time again put on display his ultimate grace. These situations remind us of how amazing it is that we are saved. You and I are just as stubborn as these unrepentant people. We must believe that. It's easy to read this and think, how foolish are these people? But then we must also remember Romans 5.8 that says, but God shows his love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And Paul reminds the Corinthians, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We can walk through anything as Christians because we can say, I'm with him, but it's an even greater truth to proclaim he's with me. May we gain confidence today to know that God was gracious to save us despite our evil heart. And may we tell others of his love as displayed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with a sense of urgency, knowing that there will come a day when the opportunity to repent is gone forever. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today in Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back again tomorrow. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.